when you've met one person with, with autism, you've met one person with autism. That's a, that's quite a, um, a tried and true sort of saying. So it's very important, I think, to really kind of be looking at each individual as a person and really, you know, sort of seeing what, what strengths and challenges they've got. April is Autism Awareness Month, so we are having a show dedicated to the benefits that a neurodiverse workforce bring to your working environment. We're starting with an interview with Melanie Curry, based in New Zealand, the CEO and President of the Board for the Ron Davis Autism Foundation, where we basically find out I don't know as much as I'd like to think that I know about autism and neurodiversity. And then we switch focus to a chat with Freddie Moros, the co-founder and CEO of AB, a tech platform and community for neurodiverse families. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered and brought to you by the Harvey Nash Group. Chatting to me today, we've got Akish. How are you? Hello. Good morning. I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm very well. Right. Chatting on the 5th of April, um, did you fall for any April Fool's jokes? Uh, I did actually, I saw something on Instagram about the Queen, um, the Queen wearing like this this rare watch and um, I was like, oh my god, how sick is it, the Queen's wearing like this half a million pound watch and it turned out it was an April Fool's. That was it mate, to be fair. I saw an article that was um, that, that they were thinking about giving... Uh, seized Russian oligarch super yachts to the royal family as a new royal yacht. And I was like, that's actually plausible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they are looking to get rid. So, you know, they might yeah, as well. Sa- save the taxpayer a bit. We don't have to pay for the next royal yacht Britannica or whatever it is. Very, very <laughs> true. I oh, know, mate, yeah. But th- there, wasn't, there wasn't that many, like normally in April Fool's gone past, you know, there's a load of like baby scans that I see on Instagram, like April Fool's, like not really pregnant or something but... Yeah, I didn't see any this year. No, no. Maybe the world's just got too bonkers. Um, yeah. <laughs> Saturday, by the way, is um, Unicorn Day. Mm. Not the, obviously, not the variety with the horn and the kind of the rainbow colours, but um, the uh, the technology-focused ones. Uh, and and uh, just before we get into today's episode proper, I did, I did think this was uh, interesting. There was an article um, in UK Tech News uh, talking about the top 10 um, uh, impact unicorns to watch in 2022, right? Mm-hmm. Arrival, Octopus Energy, Babylon, Ceres mm-hmm. Power Holdings, Vertical Aerospace, Depop, Ovo Energy, British Vault, um, Tractable, Benevolent AI. And it's like, oh, hang on a minute. We've had about half of those on the podcast already. We have had them. Some, uh, some household names, some big names and you know names that we've uh, we frequented. So yeah, Babylon, Depop, um, Arrival. Uh, off the top of my head, um, yeah. You you want to know about the top top ten impact unicorns in the UK? Yeah. Have a look at our back catalogue. <laughs> we we yeah we we uh, we got to them first. So uh, and not yeah, so we, sort of plug. Yeah, <laughs> we recognised their unicorn state from the inception. We did. Yeah, mate. We did. We're yeah. unicorn hunters, mate. That's what we are. Sound, sounds blimmin' weird, that does. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bounty hunters. No, 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 mate. Uh, unicorn hunters, actually. Yeah, unicorn hunters. Yeah, yeah, get it right. Uh, right, anyway. Um, today's episode is focused around neurodiversity and the benefits that neurodiversity uh, can bring to your organisation. It's Autism 
Awareness Month. So in our first uh, interview, we're going to be talking all about autism because it turns out I don't really know what autism is. Um, so we're going to hand over to this interview with Melanie Curry. When we come back, myself and Akish will have a chat about that before we switch our attention to a tech tech solution um, for neurodiverse um, communities and their families. Um, so here we go. Here's the first interview. We'll be back shortly. So I am now joined by uh, Melanie Curry. Melanie, you're the CEO and president uh, of the board for the Ron Davis Autism Foundation. And you are joining us all the way from New Zealand. Hi, David. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me to be on. No worries. Thank you for giving up some time on a Monday morning to, to chat. Um, so first of all, before we get into anything else, uh, mm -hmm. board for the Ron Davis Autism Foundation. Who or what is the Ron Davis Autism Foundation? Okay, so the Ron Davis Autism Foundation was um, created because um, Ron Davis is a beautiful, amazing, autistic guy um, who has created the Davis Autism Approach, um, which is an incredibly powerful program, and we wanted to be able to bring that program to the world we wanted to be able to allow anyone wherever they are in the world um, to access the program no matter what their financial situation is no matter you know where they lived so we created this foundation so that we can um, you know start offering scholarships so that people can come and work um, you know one-on-one -on -one with a facilitator um, or you know parents or teachers working with autistic individuals um, can come to workshops and learn how to work with their children. Amazing. Hmm. And I have to be perfectly honest, I think I know what autism is. Uh, and when you're talking there and saying, you know, this wonderful man uh, with autism, let's let's check if I actually have an understanding of autism. Because I have people in my family who are on the spectrum, and I say a word like, or a phrase rather, like on the spectrum, and make the assumption that I know what I'm talking about, and maybe I don't. Um, and I assume when I say on the spectrum that everyone to a degree is on a spectrum, but here we go. Uh, you might correct me here. Um, no, I and I, and I also that. think of <laughs> I also think of autism as being this thing that means that people find it difficult to read other people's emotions, and also that that people uh, with autism tend to be very very good in a particular academic field. Uh, and and helps them excel and and those are kind of notions that i have and i don't know exactly how correct they are so it'd be great to get from you kind of a real understanding of what what we really mean when we're saying someone who has autism mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so autism um you know is characterized predominantly by differences in social communication and interaction um, right. and oftentimes um you know people do think that um Autistic individuals do struggle to kind of, um, you know, maybe have empathy or, or feel what other people are feeling, but um, oftentimes that's not the case at all. Often, you know, that they're very connected to other people and um, they can sense what other people are feeling quite strongly. Um, so, you know, there's a bit of a misconception there. Um, mm -hmm. But um, there's also the other aspect of, of autism that often is seen as uh, repetitive or restricted behaviours. So um, things that need to be done in a certain way 
um, you know, in, in a, a kind of a lack of flexibility, if you like, um, and difficulties when things change, like routines and, and um, things like that. Um, but you're very right that there, there is a spectrum. And uh, what, when we talk about a spectrum, we don't talk about kind of like this linear, uh, you know, less severe to more severe. That's not, um, that, you know, that's not really helpful at all. Um, right, okay. So, so what we're kind of looking at is kind of areas of um, where there are, are greater challenges and areas where there are greater strengths. So, you know, there might be might be someone who who's autistic who, um, you know, is very, um, you know, gifted and gifted in in a particular area and then in other area, and not so much. So, um, the, it's when you've met one person with, with autism, you've met one person with autism. That's a, that's quite a, um, you know, a tried and true sort of saying. So, it's very. It's very important, I think, to um, to really kind of be looking at each individual as a person, and mm-hmm. um, and really, you know, sort of seeing what what strengths and challenges they've got, you know, and and helping support them in the way they need. So look, we wanted to talk to you because, um, obviously, as I said, it's it's it. I think I said in, in, in the preamble that this is um, Autism Awareness Month and we're talking mm-hmm. about neurodiversity more and more across the whole industry and how neurodiversity is important and how it's a strength. Mm-hmm. But where someone has autism, there you said if you've met someone who's got autism, you've met one person who's got autism. So how do you support – you? it sounds like it would be hard to kind of go, right, we're going to support – individuals with autism because it sounds like it's going to have to be a very individualistic sorry approach for each for each person Mm -hmm. yeah yeah in many ways so um i think i think in um you know as a general rule um you know in the workplace if you're looking at supporting an autistic individual probably one of the first things you'd want to do is to really just um Educate yourself generally, yeah, find mm-hmm. out a little bit more about neurodiversity and autism and the general challenges and strengths associated. So you can kind of be aware um, of the types, um, the types of challenges, the types of strengths you'll, you'll be seeing. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it really is, is looking at the individual and saying, okay, how can we support you? You know, what do you need? Um, and, and looking at, at, just some simple ways of of supporting that individual to um, minimise the challenges they're experiencing and to maximise, you know, their strengths and and create a, a safe and productive environment for them. Now we do talk a lot about kind of the, the strength of inclusion um, mm-hmm. across all industry right now and how diversity is 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 wonderful and. Holy, I subscribe to that. It made me. I'm kind of setting it up, up as if I'm going to challenge that assumption, and absolutely, that's not the case. But I think it is worth kind of asking. Well, what are the benefits of having mm-hmm. someone neurodivergent within your workplace? Because rather than just blindly going, "Oh, hey, inclusion and diversity and all these things are great," 
Mm-hmm. Digging under the surface, what 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 do neurodivergent individuals, what does someone with autism bring to the workplace that you think actually makes it stronger? Hmm. That's a really good question. So just to kind of set um, the stage a little bit more, so neurodiversity is simply just a different way of um, learning, thinking, and, and perceiving the world, right? So um, neurodiversity does cover, you know, autism and, you know, other types of, of different learning differences as well. Um, but one of the things to really kind of keep at the forefront is, you know, that neurodiversity is not a disability. You know, people, people with neurodiversity don't have, they're not broken. You know, they're, they're not, they don't kind of need fixing in a way. So they do need supporting in their challenges, um, but they bring a whole lot to a workplace that um, what we would call a neurotypical person, you know, doesn't necessarily, I mean, we've all got our strengths, right? But um, if you if you look at someone with with neurodivergent thinking, um, you know, and it's particularly with autism, what you're looking at is um, generally someone who's who has high intelligence, um, and then some strengths with um, you know associated with the with the thinking style is that they're very able to. Um, you know, focus, very able to kind of look at things from a different perspective. So bringing different perspectives into the workplace can be really, really helpful um, in, you know, solving problems, um, helping people to think outside the box a little bit more. Um, you know, so the, there's, there's all that kind of, um, you know, those wonderful traits that, that really would help within the workplace. And, um you know, being able to kind of um, one of one of the strengths of autism too is to is fine attention to detail. So being able to really kind of get to the nitty gritty, um, you know, of of things and, and look at you know maybe potentially what needs changing or um, what might work better and just keeping persisting through that to to get to a result. So that can be really really you know super helpful. Um, you know, in, in, in workplace settings. I think it's really interesting that you say it's not a disability. Mm-hmm. Because I wouldn't have thought of it as a disability. But then at the same time, if I think about my unintended bias, when I think of autism, maybe not neurodiversity, but I suppose if I kind of go, oh, autism is part of that mm-hmm. subject. Uh, I don't know whether whether that's the right cover or word, but, but let's say, you know... Um, area i would think of special educational needs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and whether or not i link that with disability in my head to me that there's immediately kind of somewhat negative connotations attached to that and Mm -hmm. oh well it's going to be harder it's going to be more difficult there's going to have to be more effort made to make sure that that individual is catered for that i suppose you know, that's a whole load of, of unintentional negative bias that might put organisations off hiring someone, even though you've pointed out some very real positives there. And I suppose maybe getting through that that bias is, is, is part of the issue, right? I think so. Yeah, I mean, just um, it, when you think about it from from that that standpoint, it does seem as if it would be, a whole lot of effort to be able to 
um, you know, accommodate someone who does have certain, you know, needs. Um, but it is totally worth it um, mm. because these individuals just bring so much um, to a workplace that you just otherwise wouldn't get. You know, I think one, one of the biggest things that I've found, because um, I've been learning from neurodivergent individuals for over 14 years now in my private practice, and I think one of the biggest things that I've seen time and time again is just the 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 innate intelligence that is sitting there that um, just needs ways of being unlocked and supported um, and you know being able to really support someone who is autistic to um, harness their strengths is only going to benefit everyone because um, you know that not only do autistic individuals have you know their their amazing strengths but as a general rule and and this is uh, I know it's a generalization but it is certainly my experience is that autistic individuals in general are very um, you know the the values they tend to hold um, as people are are very positive you know you see a lot of honesty you see a lot of integrity um, mm. you see a lot of loyalty um, very very accepting of others and differences um, a lot of kindness you know generally across the board is that those are the kind of values that they're going to bring um, to an organization as well and when you think about what the world needs at the moment yeah. we need more honesty we need more integrity we need more respect we need more kindness and um, you know Ron Davis who, who created the, the Davis autism approach he's always said you know if we um, if we can really empower autistic individuals to be in positions um, where they can, you know, create influence, then he truly believes that there is going to be less corruption in the world and there is going to be less war um, yeah. just because of the beauty that these individuals bring to the world. Well, look, I, I think it's been fascinating to chat because um, whether, I, whether I would care to admit it or not, obviously there are some... Um, ill-informed opinions there that uh, that just need straightening out. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so I think that's really useful to kind of hear um, a bit a bit more um, well well-educated <laughs> uh, dialogue around this. So, so that's really really helpful. And thank you for your time. Uh, the Ron Davis Autism <laughs> Foundation is not just limited to New Zealand; it's global, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Our headquarters are actually. Um, in the States, well, we yeah. have one lot of headquarters in the States. We have one lot of headquarters here in New Zealand. But we have facilitators all around the world. Um, and we have um, we don't just offer the, the programs in English either. So um, the programs are available in, in 11 different languages. So if someone thought that it was a foundation that they'd either like to um, get involved in the work or they'd like to find out more about autism to help support someone, how would they find out more? Uh, they'd, they'd be best to come to our website, which is mm -hmm. rdautismfoundation.org, um, and then they can connect with us from there. Um, we are also, we're also on social media, so they can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Cool. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. Um, enjoy the rest of your Monday. You, yeah, you enjoy your Sunday.
Right, Akish. Yo. Um, I've got some extra information here that has been given to us uh, by Melanie, which I think is quite useful to read out because there are some practical tips um, for uh, families um, or employers um, trying to help people with autism and neurodiversity. And I think this is quite interesting. So number one, few tips. Start to learn and talk about neurodiversity so others can spot, oh sorry, so that other staff can learn to spot and be more accepting of signs that their colleagues might need support. I think that's a really fair fair thing because, statement rather, because we talk about neurodiversity, but I wouldn't have a clue how to how to spot a neurodiverse colleague. Yeah. Yeah, no, me neither. And and I think um I think now actually with people coming back into the office, hybrid ways of working, that sort of thing, I think it's more more prevalent, right? Um yeah. just, just to have those and, and also just helping the workforce kind of re engage and say, look, everyone's so used to working by themselves and working at home that now, you know, we should be able to look out for these signs and signals and then have a support structure in place. So yeah, I'm I'm the same as you. I, I wouldn't really know. Um, you know, and and that sounds really bad. But I don't yeah. I don't think it does sound bad. I think it's like we all talk a very good game about this stuff. But mm. as as the interview with Melanie highlights, I am coming at it from a position of of well meaning ignorance. Mm. Um so there we go. Number two, shift your perspectives to view neurodiversity as a benefit rather than a disability. Ask what does neurodiversity bring? Attention to detail, focus, extensive knowledge in certain areas can be strong autistic traits. Being creative and out of the box thinker is a dyslexic strength. And problem solving, thinking laterally, connecting the dots in innovative ways tend to be the hallmark of ADD type thinking styles. Why wouldn't you want these strengths in our organisations? Um, we're all on a spectrum uh, to to a certain extent, um, and we all recognise that diverse teams with people who work in different ways is a real strength. So it stands to reason that if you look at the the benefits of autistic traits or dyslexics or ADD and my wife's dyslexic and you know she is definitely creative she was trained as an actor as an actress rather actor actress I'm never entirely sure what's politically correct now actor let's go with uh, but she's massively creative yeah 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 and, and I think I think also um, I think also they need to be they need to be in a situation where they're given that freedom to like, like you mentioned your wife they need to be in a place where they're given that freedom and that liberty to go and express themselves because i think what you don't want is people to feel like oh because i've got you know dyslexia or you know i've got like another um you know form of disability or or you know if i'm different then i can't i can't be able to voice my opinion or, or show kind of you know where i can fit into an organization because i think especially with people coming in to firms now um I mean, you know, I'm going to use our firm as an example. There's so many new faces um, that you see on a weekly, monthly basis um, doing all kinds of different jobs. You want people to have, still have that kind of liberty and the the, the kind of ownership on their work and, and kind of mm. you know, be creative, be useful and, and kind of help the organization, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, point three, there are five of these, by the way. Provide colleagues and managers training to learn ways to support neurodiverse workers. I was a manager for many years in our organization. I think we get provided good training. Um, 
we've we've got a lot of accreditations and I, and I really do think that we try and be an inclusive employer but I still I I hold my hands up I would not know how to support a neurodiverse worker if someone came to me and they said um that they were dyslexic it would only be because of my wife and understanding and talking to her that I would have maybe some understanding of how I might go about supporting her autistic or ADD I wouldn't have a clue no no, and, and I don't think many would, to be honest. Like, I genuinely, I don't think many would, and especially in the private sector, I think. Um, you know, if you look at, like, huge kind of banks, if you look at, um, you know, kind of um, the, the, the big, the FTSE, you know, look, look at the FTSE, um, look at the organisations in there. I don't, I could be wrong here, but I don't think they have specific trainings or specific kind of, you know things set up to help support these workers and yeah. the the reason for that i don't think is because they're being non-inclusive at, at all i just think because it's not been something that's been talked about and i think for years people that have had kind of neurodiverse you know kind of um um kind of types of of you know so dyslexia or adhd these sorts of things because they have had those um kind of issues or whatever i think for years they've maybe just stayed away from those mm. industries or stayed away from kind of applying and, and thought oh well you know i'm like this so there's no way in hell i'm gonna get it but now when we talk about having equal parity and equal opportunities then you know these things should be in place right um yeah to to, to help cater for them um because because if you can have a a disabled toilet and a ramp you know, for, for someone on a wheelchair to have access and stuff, then you can put these kind of processes in play as well, in my opinion. Yeah. And look, building on that point, you know, the, the fourth point that Melanie wanted us to kind of take away from this in, in terms of practical tips, neurodiverse people uh, frequently need workplace accommodations to activate or maximally um, uh, leverage their abilities. So uh, we could be talking about a great variety of stuff based on individual needs, but providing noise cancelling headphones to prevent auditory overstimulation, installing different lighting, allow allow flexible working hours, use of private meeting rooms, assertive technology, so speech-to-text, for example, coaching in areas of challenge, organisation time management, etc., or personalised workstation setup, standing desks, wobble stools. Mm. Um, so building on your point that you're just making, and also maybe su- suggesting that the changes that have been brought on working culture and environments through the pandemic may actually benefit um, a neurodiverse colleague because we can now provide you know there's there's less barriers around flexible working hours use of mm. private meeting rooms perhaps um personalized workstations we now all have the option to have standing desks at work yeah yeah and, and i think little li- just little changes i mean I, I know it's an investment for firms and we do have to be honest like not all firms are going to have that uh level of um investment available right um but i think having little changes for the workforce bringing in just stuff that um people can can appreciate and that would help enhance their working day and help enhance their their kind of productivity um yeah i think i think goes a long way hell of a lot and also, you you seem to love a standing desk as well, as as I found out last week. I, I love a standing desk because I'm I'm fidgety. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's the extent of that with me. Yeah, having sat next to you for for a day as well, you you know that desk was going up and then going down, and I was just like, yeah. I just leave it up now because yeah, I, yeah. I know what I'm like. I, I I'm going to be up and down, so if it's just up and I can walk away, and it's it's less distracting yeah. for everyone else, I think. <laughs> um, 
And then the last point, uh, create safety and flexibility so that individuals can communicate what they need to do to best um, work and have those needs reasonably accommodated. I think that's key in it. I think I think that's 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 probably the the best point. You know that communication, having having an environment where whereby you know people can actually come to the organisation and voice those you know kind of um, thoughts or, or concerns and and also just be honest about their own state really. And I think that's that's probably it. So many organisations I think lose out on people and people don't want to work there because there just isn't that confidentiality. There just isn't that kind of you know security in 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 unveiling private information like that mm-hmm. um and even if there is then you know there's, there's a kind of always a little bit of a hindrance towards well you know am i going to get kind of uh, you know left aside am i just going to be laughed at is it just going to be a case that they think i'm a weirdo or something like that but i think i think having the the ability to to voice it um that's massive and, and organizations should be creating that sort of environment whereby people feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, um, if that has struck a chord, go have a look at the Ron Davis autism foundation, plenty more information there. We are going to switch focus to our interview with the ABCEO Freddie. And this is a tech solution for people, um, for families, for people, um, with neurodiverse individuals. And I suppose it's kind of building on on some of the things that we've been talking about. I wanted to start with the kind of the non-tech angle of just what is autism and here are some tips for employees around people who've got autism and neurodiverse um, colleagues. But yeah, I mean, look, this 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 is applying tech to something that's quite non-tech, but it is a tech solution. And I love that straight away at the, towards the beginning of the interview, he calls out Dr. Google as very dangerous. I think that is something that's 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 worth kind of pausing on because getting the right resources getting evidence-based information the right information to families is really important where you've got this stuff that as we've explored already in this podcast we don't really understand yeah absolutely and i think i think that dr google thing we've well we were all guilty of it right i'll be honest um and and i think to be fair that the pandemic has probably seen its kind of heightened uh success you know everyone kind of reaching out to google and stuff and all these sorts of things i know i did when i had covid um you know and 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 it can be kind of harrowing right and especially if you know you're you're just reading and taking in a lot of information so the fact that there is a a kind of platform whereby you can talk and and learn and, and research and just talk to those that are going through the same thing as you. I think it's great. I mean, and you touched in the interview a bit later on about your own personal story, I think, um, Dave, but I think, um, you know, what you did was you went out and actually were a bit proactive and you said, well, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to take it in my stride and and kind of learn more whilst doing what I love to do, which is talking to people and, and, you know, kind of helping with the podcast and content and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's challenging because 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 you want to be really careful, right? When you when you where anything in this kind of space where it's health and it's the internet, you, yeah. you want to be adding something that's beneficial because mm. there's so much there could be so much unintentional fake news. You know, we talk about fake news, we talk about it being a bit nefarious and mm. a bit kind of like oh, it's it's fake news and it's intentionally so. 
Well, there's probably a lot of unintentional fake news. And I think that the, the safe space and the right information piece, especially where you've got mental health and neurodiverse people involved, is really important. Because you go on Facebook, you go on Reddit, there might be someone posting from their personal experience and dressing it up like it's, mm. you know, every individual is different. Mm. And and it's you've got to be really careful to make sure that you say, look, this is my own personal experience. Everyone's a little bit different. And not trying to tell everyone that this is the solution. This worked for me, therefore it will work for you. Um and and I, I think that is one of the perhaps problems with um, open groups. They're brilliant yeah. communities, but it does it does invite a whole range of views that are not fact fact checked. Yeah, yeah, true. And 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 I also think that yeah, if if it's a closed group, so to speak, then you are a you're not too worried about kind of like where you're information and and kind of data and security and stuff is going to lead but also at the same time you're able to have those real meaningful conversations with people which would then ultimately land in either advice support comfort you know care um and 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 that will just help someone and and it goes a long way than you know what other may others may anticipate Mm -hmm. what do you think about the fact that this is um so openly a prototype an mvp they're trying to get their first thousand contributors. They're really looking at that feedback loop to provide solutions. I suppose, you know, they're, they're really asking people to buy into this at an early stage from that community, which is a sell because mm. people will be wanting information at the minute. If you go to the app, you're not necessarily going to get all the answers that you're looking for or all the resources. But I think it's really admirable that Freddie is so open about where they are right now and, and hopefully that gets people to buy in and, and, and work with them and try and help them create a resource that really is beneficial. Yeah, I mean, he's being honest, right? And and the whole the whole product and you know, the, the community is built around honesty, right? So I mean it would be it would be a bit bad if you say, Oh yeah, we're doing great, you know, and we're in rounds B C funded and everything's going, you know, kind of hunky dory and all that. But 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 that's the that's the that's the concern, isn't it, with technology? Yeah. Because everyone's trying to get investment, because everyone's trying to get growth because every, you know, it's, it's, you know, we we talked at the the very beginning about unicorns, right? Yeah. There is that pressure to be seen to be maybe far more mature or or down that journey than in reality you are. And I really loved that Freddie was very open about where they are. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think he was, I think he was a standout kind of chat because he was just very honest, like you said, but also he was very real in the kind of expectations Mm. and things like that. Right. I mean, you know, do it. He's he's not the guy who's looking for his like name on on the Forbes kind of list, you know, next year or anything like that. It, to me, anyway, it didn't come across like that. But I think he's very uh, the 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 messaging around the platform has been great. I think also the fact that they're looking to do this is very very brave because with all the resources, with all the API, with all the the kind of funding, I mean, I'm sure they could have come up with, you know, some sort of uh, disruption idea or, you know, whatever, right? But the fact that they're actually using the technology, they're using the funding, they're using their knowledge and expertise to do something for good and for the good of kind of mankind and humans, um, I think you should, should need supporting, so... Yeah, it'll be good to see like, you know, it'd be good to see the like clinical services or, yeah. you know, the, the the kind of the healthcare system to to maybe, you know, try to to try to kind of integrate help out. I mean, I don't really know how it works there, but, you know, it might just be that might be an idea. Um, 
you know. Well, look, we, we've given it a bit of a build-up there. We've been talking about it for two or three minutes. So uh, why don't you hear from Freddie yourself? Um, second interview for today. And Akish, thank you for your time. Cheers. So I'm chatting to Freddie uh, Moros. Uh, you are CEO of IB or AB. How, how would you pronounce it? It's, uh, it's AB. AB, cool. Uh, CEO of AB. Uh, a community, um, is it a platform? Is it an app? I know, it's, I know it is an app. I suppose it is a platform, but a community-based solution for wellness and neurodiverse families. Is that, is that a good kind of wrapper for it? How would you describe AB? Yeah, that's it, David. And, and thank you very much for having me today. I really appreciate you uh, you bringing me on and giving me a chance to talk with you. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much what AB is. We're looking to support neurodiverse families. We're trying to provide them with sort of a, a community-led um, approach, uh, giving them access to various different self-care tools and um, things to help them alleviate some of the symptoms that come from everyday life. So it's at the moment, it's an app. Um, we call it a platform because we have aspirations to to grow it beyond. But it's uh, it's an app that you'll find in in the Android store, hopefully in the iOS store soon. We're waiting on uh, one or two last technical approvals, but uh, hopefully that should come through. But yeah, I know if you if you look us up, you'll you'll find us there. And and just to, before we kind of jump into anything else, it talks about it being a safe space for community, um, practical tools and support. It also talks about evidence based content. What what do we mean by evidence based content in this in this context? Yeah, absolutely. So. I think one of the main problems and the reasons why I wanted to get into this um, and, and my co-founders as well was going through the diagnostic, uh, diagnostic process. There are so many different avenues you can find yourself going down. Dr. Google is a, uh, it's a very dangerous thing. And so what we wanted to try and do, there's, there's a lot of resources out there which are you know, science-led, they're evidence-based, they have, they've been conducting incredible research studies lately. But quite often there's a real disconnect between the academia and then what is easily accessible and easily digestible for parents to actually use and say, okay, well, that's the, that's the trick. That's the tip. That's what I need to do in order to make my life that little bit better today. And so what we wanted to do is act as sort of a conduit between the two, take the right resources, partner with people who we know are really sort of part of this conversation and driving it forward um, to then enable parents to have this access to the right information. That's on the one side, so that the evidence-based materials which you can get and is is critical. But then the safe space environment as well. You know, the other the other element that you'll you'll find in in the families and the community because there is such a strong community in, in the uh, around neurodiversity. A lot of individuals use Facebook and Reddit, and they use that to communicate, and you know, which is fantastic, and it's so important to be able to communicate with the peers. But from our side. One of my major concerns has always been privacy. And when you're talking about mental health, when you're talking about uh, your children's health and, and, and wanting to be able to speak with parents who are in the same position as you, for me, I, I would rather have a sort of a safer environment, which is a closed space. It isn't open to the public. So, you know, Joe Bloggs can Google uh, my name and find that I've posted about my child and all these different forums. So we really wanted to take that off of the main social networks and then create one sort of centralized community space where we're then developing these different groups. So you can connect, you know, if you are um, a mother of an autistic child in Scotland, we'll have a specific group for autism in Scotland, which you can then connect with on a geographic basis, but also on a cultural basis. So you can start really getting to know them, but it's all within this curated, safer environment. Here's one question on that front then. And this is coming from someone who has a chronic illness. 
you get a diagnosis that you don't understand. And look, mine has nothing to do with neurodiversity, but you get a diagnosis that you don't understand. Then you go to those places where you can search to find other people to be able to kind of jump into those communities. And that's, I suppose, to an extent why groups on Facebook are are successful. So how do you plan to um, capture that audience or get noticed by them as a resource if it is a, it is a closed community, and I totally understand your reasoning and why you've done it that way, and it makes perfect sense, especially when you're talking about mental health. But I suppose at the same time, it makes it a little bit harder to get users onto the platform and to make use of it. Absolutely, and that's probably going to be our, our major commercial challenge. I mean, you speak to any app, you know, the main thing is CAC versus LTV, you know, your acquisition cost versus what, what your lifetime value of your customer is. And a lot of these apps have an extremely high acquisition cost. Uh, mm. it, it, it's the re- realistic approach. And certainly where, where we're talking about in order to um, have what we want, which is this sort of community, which is protected, it's in a safe environment. We're completely aware that we don't get the value of this sort of open source being able to change. And you know, it, was a, it was an opportunity cost for us. But what we're doing is we're developing different marketing initiatives to allow us to then approach different communities, find different ambassadors, grow it in, a, in an organic way. and. Um, you know, we're going to we're going to put the particular budget behind. We we have the added benefit of being uh, incubated by a, a a major media company called Cutting Edge Group, which is a, a leading independent music for film. So we have access to a lot of um, uh, Hollywood connections, which can be really helpful in in getting messaging out there and building building brand awareness. Um, so we have we have our workarounds, but what you say is absolutely right. It's it's a it's a key. Um, problem that we're going to have to overcome when we want to build this community so your founding team uh uh pierre and amy kind of backgrounds from innocent drinks and polaroid um doesn't seem to be coming out of any kind of clinical background so first of all how did you three come together and why does this matter to the three of you and then how have you got about that challenge of creating those relationships with clinicians and, and experts to help you with that evidence-based piece. Absolutely. So yeah, no, Pierre and Amy, um, both incredible. And you know, one of the things which I think we find about this community and one of the reasons why I'm so happy to be uh, pushing this thing forward is everyone I speak to seems to have some form of uh, personal story about neurodiversity. They're either someone in their family, a close friend, a colleague who they're looking after. Everyone seems to be touched by it in some way, which is when I knew you know, the addressable market was massive, but also the uh, the extent of the, the potential problem was also. So we needed to, um, it, it's something we really wanted to solve. Pierre and I uh, were, were introduced by my uh, my family. His brother and my sister went to school together uh, all way back when. So we were sort of uh, connected in a way, and he's been incredibly successful uh, as chief executive of Polaroid for, for six odd years. And he did an incredible job with them. And we really wanted to work with him in some form within Cutting Edge. <laughs> we were trying to poach him for a long time. Uh, and we started speaking, and his, his son... Um, his son went through an ADHD diagnosis, and this is when he really realized, okay, well, you know, there's a singular pathway here. I'm Googling. I don't know where I'm looking. I just want some support. And so we were talking about things because from our side, I was coming from a place where I had um, this incredible body of music, um, all these assets from a, from one of the leading wellness brands out there, which I, um, I run called Mindstream. And we wanted to figure out a way of utilizing that music in a more impactful and meaningful uh, way for the community. And 
in conversations with Pierre, we were talking about ADHD. We were talking about the, the, a few different studies that are coming out about how music therapy can be uh, a valuable resource for focus and, and help um, uh, concentration, particularly within those with ADHD. And we realized maybe there was something in this particular demographic where we could put, present a solution which could have that in, uh, impact as well as that commercial viability. So we really started exploring, researching. We spent a few months really diving into various different papers. I work with um, the Global Wellness Institute, which is a, um, a major institution in the U.S. for uh, various different wellness academic research. Um, and I am uh, chairing the Music for Wellbeing initiative for the GWI as we go forward, right, in the, in the process of building it. Um, so... We had access to all these fantastic researchers who are already in play doing things, um, mostly sort of uh, pediatricians and neuroscientists and a few individuals who are specific on music as well. Um, but we started leveraging a few of these resources and building kind of a, a research bed, as it were, uh, for us to start building a commercial proposition, which is then when uh, we, we got connected with Amy and Amy uh, with her strategy um, background, really um, for Innocent Drink, she understood consumer propositions um, and so between the three of us, you know, uh, Pierre on the commercial side, really understanding how to build B2B relationships, Amy in terms of uh, really understanding how to drill into a brand and then developing a commercial proposition that consumers can really relate to. Uh, and then me with my uh, access to the music and, and the cutting edge resources, we felt like we had enough of a resource bed on the commercial side to build something. And mm -hmm. then the number one problem that we've identified, which which you can see as well, is None of us have any sort of understanding on the science uh, in a uh, in a professional sense, in a, in, a, in a training sense. So we needed to then really build a board of advisors in order to ensure that we're doing things in the right way. And so that's when we started looking at all the people who were leading uh, researchers and uh, resources in the space, uh, building our relationships with them, leveraging the Global Wellness Institute to do so as well. Um, and, and really, it's been a, sort of a, a, a hustle process, I'd say. Uh, we've just been grinding to try and uh, to build that network. So when you when you go into the app, you kind of get this uh, this grid of getting started, Neurodiversity 101, Tools, Insights, Activity Feed, Neurodiverse Life. Um, you touched on the fact that there are a number of different, um, I'm not sure if the right words, conditions or not, forgive me if that's um, inarticulate, but but... Um, let's say conditions for the, for the sake of, of, of time, but um, that, that people do suffer from. Um, how how kind of down into each particular diagnosis can the app go? You know, the, the minute it would look to be kind of a neurodiverse coverall when you're in the app, and I suppose you know it's a brand new app, so so I, I suppose it's kind of a uh, an MVP style uh, uh, application at the moment, but it's just interesting to know how you might see that develop and how people might get the relevant information that's, that's specific to um, their needs. And I asked that having had a conversation, which will also be on this episode of the podcast, where um, uh, I was told that if you have met one person with autism, for example, you have simply met one person with autism because of how you know because of how differing um it can present itself yeah absolutely and uh certainly i think the big disclaimer of the moment is uh we're we're a prototype it's an mvp which is currently on the app store so you're seeing our sort of uh 70 general philosophy that we wanted to try and start testing and try and improve but 
the way that we're, we're envisaging doing that in the first instance is we have these various different groups, which will then go specific into, you know, geographic location, the various mm-hmm. different um, neurotypes there are, and then specifically developing programs and content for each of these particular groups. This again comes to one of the differentiation factors from, from what we're trying to do as opposed to a Facebook community. Um, for instance, you, you have a Facebook group, you can speak and you can learn from the others. That's kind of the extent of the total uh, user journey. What, what we're trying to accomplish is you sort of almost have this, um, this curated conversation where you're speaking with each other, you're learning from each other and various different parents in the same situations. But then you have a team who are specifically looking into uh, how you're speaking, asking you for specific feedback and then developing programs to really help uh, provide solutions to the problems you're facing. Um, but that will only come after time. So we really need to try to drill down with the community first and say, okay, well, you know, this is the general structure. This is where we're looking to try and take things. We want to make this as specific and as valuable as possible. Um, and then we're, we're really asking for help in order to try and make it, uh, make it as impactful. So everyone who joins up at the moment, we, we call, we're calling an AB contributor, uh, because, uh, we see their contributions as, as extremely valuable in terms of the future of this, this product. Um, because really, we're we're looking to build this with the community as opposed to just for. So, look, I suppose I, the last thing to ask then is, you've mentioned there you, you you're you're incubated by um, a large organisation, but you're looking for help. You're looking for people to get involved in the community. It's through their feedback that you're going to grow. What's what's going to help you help that neurodiverse community right now? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's um, it's communication. Uh, really, it, it's it's beginning to try and tell the story. So we're looking at we're looking to sign up the first uh, thousand families. We, we we see neurodiversity as um, sort of it, you have an individual with uh, a, a particular neurodiversity and uh, as a divergent thinker, but you have a whole ecosystem around them who are, who need to support. So what we're we're sort of saying is we're targeting this this uh, this app and we're positioning it for the families themselves. Um, so what we're looking to is uh, onboard those first thousand families, start testing particular parts of our content, start seeding certain ideas, seeing which parts really uh, take, which parts grow, and, and, and then developing from there. So really, the next two months, uh, for us, it's, uh, it's getting a word out. It's, it's starting to say, you know, we're AB, this is what we're trying to do. We're, we're looking to try and prevent, uh, provide um, sort of, you know, value-based solutions and preventative healthcare things, which can, you know, really help a family's well-being who have particular um, divergent thinkers in their family and and really asking along the way for as much feedback as we can get and as much uh, sort of constructive criticism uh, <laughs> as we can because uh, we know that it's, it's an extremely important um, uh, conversation and we really want to be able to um, build something that's important and impactful and the only way you can do that is is with the help with a lot of people who uh, who going through it constantly. So um, that's what we're doing. Well, look, Freddie, I really appreciate you spending some time and talking through uh, that MVP as it exists. And I hope the community does grow and uh, and you're able to help families. Um, so good luck and thanks for your time. Thank you very much, David. Appreciate it.